Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy Rock will be preaching a sermon out of Acts chapter 6 and 7, titled The War Within. God cannot be found at a specific address or location. He is not limited by borders, buildings, or boundaries. God sent the Holy Spirit to inhabit every fiber of our lives and affect the very DNA of our being. When we allow God outside of the boxes we place Him in, we can experience the fullness of the healing delivered by the gospel. We can let go of our hurts, our fears, and our doubts. We can walk in the confidence of His strength into even the most hostile situations. Peace surrounds our souls when we relinquish control to our Lord Jesus. If you are new or visiting uh, with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Let me just remind you and remind us what we believe as a church. There's three things. Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness. No matter where you are in your life, we want you here because we believe that God meets you in love right here to renew and redeem and restore you. Second, we believe that we are called to bring or to, to trust in our risen Savior, to trust God with everything moment by moment, day by day. And some days we fall flat on our face and then we get back, right back up again. But we do that together. And then third, we're called to bring restoration. So Bruce Hamilton gets to bring restoration to somebody this week. And then Kilo in the second service, our guitarist, gets to bring it to somebody this week. And you get to bless them in Jesus' name. The, the stuff that's happening in our youth group right now, and half, two-thirds of those kids aren't even Christian. And they come back week after week after week to be loved and to hear about Jesus and to take that next little baby step in their journey. It's amazing. And it's happening all across. We're bringing restoration to this community and to to our own hearts. God is doing that in us. Amen? Amen. So that's what we believe as a church. Each one of those truths that there's hope beyond our brokenness and we get to trust in our risen Savior together and we get to bring restoration no matter where we are, that all of those three truths have choices attached to them that you and I get to make every day. So can we proclaim this together? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus, I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Heavenly Father, we need your protection right now, we need your help right now, we need your blessing right now. We bind up everything opposed to Christ that's uh, on us, whether we're here in the sanctuary or whether we're home, whether we're uh, listening on a walk. does not matter, Jesus. We bind up and silence the enemy that would be seeking to distract and bother us now in Jesus' name. And we pray, Father, for space spiritually, emotionally, mentally, that we might be able to hear you and understand you and see you clearly in this passage. We're asking, Jesus, that you'd change our hearts. You're still just as good. No matter what we have going in our lives, God, you are still just as good as the day we met you. We love you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Today we're going to read a passage. It's sad. It's powerful. It's the first Christian, Stephen, who is killed for his faith. 
So let me set the stage with you. It's, we're in Acts chapter 6. We've just, we're, we're, we're picking up right where we left off last week. Uh, the church is growing, and already within the first, this is like month two in the church, there's a fight in the church. Shocker. Uh, the Jewish Christians aren't paying attention to the Greek and Roman Christians. The Jewish Christians are saying, all these new visitors are nice, but who are these strangers? And why should I share my stuff with these strangers? So is there any, has there been anybody that's been a member of our church for longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. So there's seven of, right? So all of you guys would be like, who are these people, right? Right? Who are these strangers? And all of you are like, wait, what's going on? Um, and in this case, the, uh, the Jewish Christians, they weren't uh, releasing resources so that the widows uh, of, of the Gentile and, or the Greek and Roman Christians were taken care of, right? And you don't mess with old ladies. <laughs> you don't mess with people's moms, right? So... They, so the Gentile Christians, the Greek and Roman Christians, talked to the Jewish Christians, and they said, hey. And the Jewish Christians were like, you're absolutely right. We need to do something about this. And so they pulled together a group of uh, people, Jews and Gentiles, that were all Christ followers, to then oversee the distribution of goods to help the people in the church that had need. Those are called deacons. And one of those guys is Stephen, and Stephen is a rock star, um, verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen rose up and disputed with Stephen. So Stephen, here's Stephen, he's a Jewish guy, and he's doing incredible things, like he's praying for people, miracles are happening, and then some very conservative rabbis these are local pastors. They come up and they say to Stephen, they, they're, trying to, they're confronting him. Verse 10, but they could not, read this with me, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So here's a guy who can go toe-to-toe with, with rabbis who had the entire Old Testament memorized to the point where they would roll it up in a scroll and if they could put a pin through the scroll, scroll, they could name each letter it passed through. Okay? We have a hard time with the Pledge of Allegiance in the United States, right? They're memorizing 800 pages, okay? And Stephen is showing them in the Old Testament how every single promise that God has made is fulfilled by Jesus, he is the Messiah. Not only is he the Messiah, but he's also fully human and fully God. And they can't, they, they, they are losing their minds. Why? Because everybody knows Stephen. Stephen ran Stephen's plumbing and septic <laughs> a month ago. And nobody knows what the heck happened like this is the guy who cleans out the drain, not the guy who's theologically more educated and astute and articulate than the professionals. 
So they pulled the same move that worked on Jesus and then worked on Peter that we read two weeks ago. Read this with me. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen and seized him and brought him before the council. Yeah, they set up false witnesses. They haul Stephen in for an unfair trial and tell everyone that Stephen's threatening to destroy the temple in three days and that he's going to mess with Moses' customs, which is that would make anybody in power pucker in their seat, right? Because if you destroy the temple or the customs of Moses, then you've eradicated the tithing system and the sacrificial system, which brings in billions of dollars annually and so they're going to protect their house, so to speak. <coughs> Guys, you need to understand this. When, when church is a business that has the goal of more money and bigger buildings, that's not good. Amen. And pastors are the worst at turning the movement of God and the miracles of God to, to restore and renew and, and save people into a way to profit them and their egos. When church is a business of giving away a lot of money and loving people no matter what mold they fit into, then the pastor isn't lifted up, but people like Stephen, who used to run Stephen's plumbing and septic, are lifted up. And then pastors get to have a front row seat watching God work, but they're not the rock stars. I wish I could tell you that I'm all about the front row seat, but that would be a lie. I mean, I love preaching to enormous crowds, and, and I want more people, yes, so that they would come to know Jesus, but if I'm honest, I want more people because, well, I like preaching in front of thousands of people, <laughs> and it feels good. I want more and more and more. That's my pride, that's my greed, and I'm so grateful that Jesus has said no to me on this. And I'm grateful that I know that about myself. And I'm grateful that I get a front row seat to watch Jesus work through you all. The rabbis and leaders are stunned at Stephen. They look at him hoping that all of these false witnesses that they would bring forward to crush Stephen and to quiet him and make him stop would work. Verse 15, read this with me. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Hmm. Can I just say this to you right now that, that there's going to be some moments, I'm going off script, Denise, by the way. Uh, there's going to be some moments in your life, maybe it's almost every day, when there will be false witnesses that live in your own heart that want to condemn you and keep you quiet, that want to shame you and have you living a diminished small life, that would say, oh, you've done too much wrong, or you're too far off, or you're too far old, or you don't know enough, or you can't do this, and that you have a choice every day 
as to whether or not you're going to let those voices quiet you or you're going to rest in the truth of who you are in Christ. I'm going to say more about this later. But here's the moment in the passage where this truth shows up for the first time. So back to the trial, the high priest says, Oh, Stephen, are these things so? Are you really going to destroy the temple and the laws of Moses? And then Stephen begins, and this is all of Acts chapter 6. And if you want to read an incredible passage about how, how Stephen uses the Old Testament to point to the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, read Acts chapter 6. But Stephen starts his own defense by telling a Sunday school story, and all the rabbis kind of roll their eyes. And I'm paraphrasing for brevity, but basically he says this, that you and I, like pagans, would rather have a formula when it comes to God than a relationship with our living God. And the stubbornness that we have only increases, this insistence on a formula, it only increases when when we insist that God lives in a particular box of our making, in, in, in a house that has an address. So when David built, or when Joshua had the tent, that was because this, here's this place where the Holy of Holies is created, and then that tent turned into a wooden, amazing structure under David, and then it turned into a massive stone temple under Solomon, and there was beauty to that because you could go and experience the presence of God, that heaven and earth had a hinge point, and that place was Jerusalem, and the awesomeness and holiness of God's presence was there, and it was incredible. And at the exact same time, it also allowed us in our brokenness and our desire to have an equation with God rather than a formula with God. All of a sudden, we, our religious ugliness comes out, and then we want to be gatekeepers and rule followers and insist that only these people can come in and these people can have to stay out. But just like in all our favorite law and order shows and courtroom drama, this TV skips over, you know, hiring a jury and all of the evidence and that kind of stuff, and they get right to the closing argument, so that we're, that's what we're going to do with this passage today. Here's Stephen's closing arguments in this amazing bombshell statement backed up by the prophet Isaiah. Stephen says this. This is how he lands the plane. So we've gone from chapter 6, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 48. Are you ready? Here's his closing argument. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my... What kind of house are you going to build for me, says the Lord? What's my place of rest? That's a great question. Really, I made everything on this earth. You're going to build something that I made for me (laughs) to live in? That's not how this works. Verse 50, did not my hand make all these things? First, notice what Stephen is saying. Number one, God doesn't have an address. God doesn't live in a box that you make. What's this mean? If God has an address or lives at a location, then you and I could sell tickets, couldn't we? This is what religion is. You and I can bar the entrance and say, no, 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 this is my house. God lives here, and if you want to come to God, then you need to pay me money or do these things or be worthy enough to come into God's presence. 
You can demand conformity. You can insist on rules, regulations. This is the worst of religion. But if God doesn't live at 123 Temple Street or 456 Church Avenue, if God is out here, out here among us, in us, then that changes everything. You know what that means? It means that how you treat other people matters because God is in you and God is in them, which means that you can no longer mistreat them. The rich cannot mistreat the poor without consequence. One tribe, one ethnicity, one, one socioeconomic status cannot demonize another because God dwells in both. Now, each person, man, woman, and child matters. This idea that God doesn't have an address, it's the foundation of our democracy, of our very freedom, of, of why in this country we've said, based on this reality that God is real and in us as we say yes to him, that every single human being has value and is worthy of protection and love and equality. Amen? No matter what. Then Stephen offers the final blow to this closing argument that, and one that stings and cuts close to the bone for the Jewish people sitting there that day. Verse 51, read this with me. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Hi. Yeah. Here's Jesus, the fulfillment of every good and holy thing that God wants to do, the, whole, the person who's going to save us all and redeem us all, and the Jews killed him, and every person that pointed to him. That's a bad day, man. <laughs> right? Can you imagine your one job as a Secret Service agent is to protect the president, and you just keep on killing the person who gets elected by accident? That's a bad day, right? Everyone, every number one draft pick that comes into your organization, you're like, oh man, I can't wait. Oh yeah, I've got another car accident, it was bad. Uh, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's a disaster for these guys. So how do they respond? Well, of course they go crazy. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their, <laughs> right? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And read this with me. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, that's significant. Normally in Scripture, it says that Jesus like sat down at the right hand of God meaning that's a position of power and authority, equality with God, right? But now what is Jesus doing? He's not sitting down. Now what he's doing? He's standing. Jews stand when they pray. If you were at a trial and you were going to 
be a witness, you would not sit down, you would stand. And so here's Jesus praying for Stephen, being a witness against the false witnesses of that trial, but on behalf of Stephen. It's a beautiful image. And what does Stephen say? Verse 56, he said, read this with me. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That means Jesus is God. But everybody in the courtroom cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and then bum-rushed him. This is great. Stephen says, your heart and your ears are uncircumcised, meaning you have something covering them. And when they hear the truth that Jesus is God, standing at the right hand of God in heaven, what do they do? They cover their ears. They close their hearts. Jesus can't be God. These miracles that Stephen's doing can't be real. No, 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 no. That's the plumbing and septic guy. And then they bum rush him, and they beat him, and they tie him up outside the city gates, and they throw rocks at his head until he dies. Verse 58. Read this with me. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The rich priests take off their Gucci and Dolce Cabana robes to do the dirty work, lay them at the feet of the rabbi who would leave this mob at that point and then hunt Christians in the city of Jerusalem and then hunt Christians and destroy their lives outside of the city of Jerusalem for the next several years until Jesus saves him. That guy Saul would become Paul and he'd write a third of the New Testament. And Stephen utters a phrase that we say to this day, found for the first time in the New Testament, Lord Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. You're my Savior and my only hope. Jesus, you are my sovereign Lord and ruler and redeemer. And all of this is just so sad. Stephen would have been an incredible pastor, a disciple, probably even greater than Paul. And Stephen gave his life for the truth that God doesn't have an address, that Jesus, who is God, is present, standing in intercession, in prayer, standing right beside you, in you, if you want him. If God no longer has an address, if God isn't in the little box of your making anymore, then this has serious implications for your life, and I can tell you what it means for me. It means I can't leave God here in the sanctuary anymore, and I do sometimes. I think during the week at work that I'm all alone. So then I get all, 
well, I get really annoying to work with sometimes because of my pride and power. And I end up criticizing and micromanaging our leaders, and I've done this to Paul. Paul, you weren't here last week. I apologize. And I've done this to Zed. Zed, I'm sorry. That's me leaving God here in the sanctuary and not taking him with me everywhere that I go so that my words can be a blessing. And I don't operate out of fear or control, but I operate out of love. Can you relate? If God is no longer in my little box, then I get to God, ask God into every area of my life. And it means I get to ask him for help in every area, which means then when it comes to my relationships with my family and with money and with the deepest wounds of my heart that I get to ask God to heal them and to rule over those decisions and to be there with me in it. If God is no longer out there but in here in my heart, then every moment can be a moment of intimacy with God. Does that make sense? So I don't like leave God in the place that I pray and then go do my business. I bring God with me into every single moment of my life. And so it doesn't matter if I'm changing a diaper or weeding the lawn or going to work or playing pickleball or whatever, I can bring God into that moment. And if God is in you, then what you have to offer is beautiful. My friend Tina, who goes to the church, she learned ancient Greek when she was in college. And then she forgot it, like everybody does when they read ancient Greek. And then during the pandemic, during the quarantine, she said, you know what, I'm going to pick up ancient Greek again. And so she started reading. And during that quarantine, she read through the entire New Testament in, in the Greek. And now... She's giving me notes on the book of Acts in the original Greek to help me. Tina, I love it. It's beautiful. Thank you. See, see what's, happening, what's happening is that instead of me worrying about doing it all by myself, if God is in me and God is in you, then I can ask for help and celebrate when that help comes. Does that make sense? And if Jesus is no longer in my little box of my making, then that means his plans and his will and his desires are going to be a lot bigger than my little box, which means that you and I constantly get to be in this place of surrender of what's going to happen next. Because we can't control God, nor would we want to. This is called faith. This is called obedience. It's called surrender. Last application. You and I, there's a part of our hearts that are just like Stephen, right? We say, God, I'm going to choose to to believe what you say about me and be courageous. And there's, you need to know that there's a, a part of your heart that's just like Saul. It's just like the person that would be there, they would be saying, you know what? Yeah, they broke the rules, and so we're going to condemn and crush. 
And I know this in my own life because what ends up happening is that when I make a mistake, I am so quick to beat myself up. And that is not how Jesus treats me ever. So what is that voice in me? It's the religious in me. It's the, it's the Saul in me. It's the, it's the part of me that would want to use what God has done or what God is doing and say, no, 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 you're doing it wrong, and so I'm going to be angry and mad that you're doing it wrong, and I'm going to use violence or harm to, to hurt myself, and then I end up doing the same thing to other people, and that's human, and so we get to admit this as followers of Christ. Yep, I can be a religious knucklehead, and it affects my heart, and it affects my relationships. Somebody say amen. Because I know you're thinking of the person next to you that does that all the time, but I'm talking to you. Second thing. Second thing. Paul, after Paul meets Jesus and has this amazing encounter with Jesus, he writes in Philippians chapter three this. Read this with me. I count everything as rubbish. I knew I count everything as rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as rubbish. Why does Paul say this? Paul says this because his first experience with the Christian was with Stephen. And Stephen saw that Jesus was standing as a witness and knew exactly who Stephen was. And Stephen in that moment could have done two things. He could have said, you know what? I'm gonna fall apart. I'm gonna default to my fear. I'm gonna default to my lying. I'm gonna default to my anger. I'm gonna default to my, my control, whatever it is. I'm just gonna default to that because that's who I am. And then I'm gonna freak out and try and get out of this difficult situation. And what Jesus showed Stephen is he said, Stephen, I see you and you are glorious and you are powerful and you are beautiful and you are speaking the truth and you can stand for something and you're a warrior and you have a purpose and you have a plan for your life and it's good and I'm going to use you for incredible things, Stephen, because we all know Stephen's name. We don't know any of the names of the rabbis that were there that day except another rabbi who said, Jesus, I'm going to take what you say about me more seriously than all my little self-salvation projects. And I'm going to stand in the power of who you say that I am, that I am loved and I am forgiven and I am chosen. I'm not going to be a victim of what people have done to me. I'm not going to live in reference to my sorrow and my heartaches anymore. I'm going to move forward in life no matter what in the truth that I am loved by the savior of the universe. Yeah. Jesus stands and he looks at you and he says, stand up. Stop being small. Stand up. You have a purpose for your life. You have a plan for your life. You have a destiny for your life. Fight for that. Don't fight for comfort. Fight for something beautiful and great and incredible. Don't fight for your entitlement. Fight for the, what God has for you. 
Because all that's just rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, would you give us faith like Stephen? Lord Jesus, would you silence every false witness that the enemy puts in our lives to, to wreck us? Lord Jesus, would you meet us in the places of our deepest wounds that have us being stupid sometimes and making really bad choices? And God, right there, help us to stand and to fight for you and to fight for the calling that you've given us. Because this matters, Jesus. Our lives matter to you. Lord, bless and seal all the good things that you've done in the hearts of my friends here today. Protect them and pray against all the enemy's plans to rob, steal, and destroy what you've done in their hearts today. Now, in Jesus' name, protect my friends, Jesus, and me. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. Would you stand for the benediction? Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance that's him turning his face towards you in delight and give you the peace that passes all understanding in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. you all have a great day. We have incredible snacks for you outside today. Sign up for a group. God bless you guys. If you want prayer, come forward. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.